You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. My name is Matt Walsh. We are back for another week. Not many weeks left uh, before we have to say goodbye for 2020 because, of course, this is grand final week. Neil Seawang, welcome to you. It is. And doesn't it feel odd to think that we've actually got a grand final considering where we were about, you know, four or five months ago? Absolutely. Well, you know, many thought the season might not even get away or it might go until December. Jake Michaels, are you sort of happy we're still finishing up in spring as opposed to having some, uh, some real hot days at the Gabba in summer? It doesn't really feel like spring at the moment, but I'm wrapped that we're, we have a grand final. And I think, um, I think it's going to be a really good one. Two, two really good teams who play good football um, throughout the year and in their prelims. I think it's going to be a cracking grand final. And I'm looking forward to it probably more than I have a grand final in quite a while. Yep, and fair enough too. I think um, two of the most experienced finals teams that we've seen in a long time, Christian Jolly duking it out. Uh, it might not have been the grand final the neutrals may have wanted. I mean, Port and Brisbane might have been an interesting sort of fresh take on the finals, uh, but we've probably got the best contest in Richmond and Geelong coming up this week. Correct, and if you look at the last six, seven years, these are the two teams that have been right on top. We know Richmond, obviously, last uh, two or three grand finals in Geelong, you know, haven't quite made it in... A little bit of time, but they've been consistently, you know, up in the top four all that time. So it's yeah, it's sort of a, a, a grand final that sort of culminates from the last five years of form almost between the two mm. clubs. And we've got plenty to talk about about the grand final. Uh, so much so that we're actually going to do a second podcast this week, uh, Friday morning. We're going to get into into the nitty gritty of what happens on Saturday. That'll be a live broadcast. It'll be uh, broadcast through Facebook. So make sure you oh join boy. us for that. Uh, yep. Uh, so hopefully no swearing from you, Jake, that we can uh, cut out in the, post, in the post-processing. But please uh, do join us on Friday. I think around midday uh, we'll be live on, on the Facebook to do that. Um, but before I guess we get into the analysis from the weekend to stick the prelims and talk all things Jeremy Cameron, uh, who dropped a big bombshell overnight. Gents, something you noticed from the weekend that might get lost in today's episode. Christian, I might start with you. Is there something you noticed from the weekend that uh, caught your eye? Um, probably some of the best ruck work I've seen in the 2020 season. Um, and Curvis in his last quarter? No, a non-ruckman, I reckon. I reckon oh. Tom, Hawkins's work, Tom Hawkins' work in the forward 50 on Saturday night against Brisbane um, sort of just, yeah, took McInerney apart, whether he was um, flicking it out the back and getting Geelong players running out through the corridor or just grabbing it out of the ruck. And it sort of made me look into the numbers. He's actually grabbed it out of the ruck 20 times this year, taking possession in the forward 50, which is sort of set a new world record, if you like, for most times that's happened, um, which sort of takes you back to that rule that changed at the start of last year of giving the ruckman or the competing guys in the ruck contest uh, prior, you know, more prior opportunity when they grab that, well, taking away that prior opportunity of grabbing the ball out of the ruck, giving him more time to get rid of it. Um, and yeah, last year he had 15 um, of those in the 450, which was the new record. And he's taken it to a new level with 20 from his 20 games this year. So um, yeah, an interesting weapon they've got in their forward 50. A guy that can either hit him up on the lead or if it goes out of bounds, he just grabs it out of the ruck and sets up a goal another way. So, Well, question without notice, how many goals has he or how many scores has he scored from, from doing that? All yeah, so... Yeah, directly, I was, think it was only about three or four. So I hadn't got the end result of the whole chain. But um, again, it was just, he's had the 14 hitouts to advantage as well. And I think uh, three or four of them are led directly, you know, to the guy scoring. Um, and the 14 hitouts to advantage is equal third of any player in the comp. So that's, you know, with all, you know, behind Tim English and or equal with Tim English and behind Grundy and Gorn. So he's uh, a genuine ruckman when the ball's down there for Geelong. The whole uh, late, uh, late career change for, for the Tomahawk seems to be working out well. <laughs> Neil, Neil, something uh, from uh, the weekend that might get lost in today's podcast. Yeah, I'm probably going to paraphrase Chris Fagan, but I loved his honesty. He, he spoke so well after what was a gut-wrenching loss. And I think one of the journalists asked him, you know, where are you going to improve over the off-season? Is it going to be, you know, you're going to look at the young players coming through or is it structural? And he said something along the lines of, oh, we're going to get Joe Danaher. So that should... You know, he had said it with a chuckle, but he was so forthright in, in what he said. And, and I think that just shows what sort of you'd love to play for him. You'd love to be involved with his yeah. club. Um, just that ability to sort of, you know, almost sort of laugh at himself or laugh at the industry itself and, and just be totally upfront with, you know, we'll, we'll add Joe Danaher and, and that, that should help us. Well, the Lions have a good track record of, uh, of getting some players who have had injury concerns and, and getting them on the park really well. Grant Birchall had a, a really good year uh, and, and will probably go around again next year. I think he is contracted. Uh, Lincoln McCarthy was injury prone when he was at the Cats and he's revitalised his career. So maybe the move to 
Brisbane is exactly what Joe Danaher needs and, and yep. uh, Chris Faker's looking forward to that. <laughs> You'd think so. <laughs> Jake, uh, something from the weekend that we might not get to touch on. Well, there's been two things people have loved to say in 2020. The first one has been flatten the curve, a big buzz, <laughs> buzzword catchphrase. And the other one is inaccuracy will cost a team a grand final and a premiership. Well, that was kind of debunked on the weekend with both the Cats and the Tigers pretty inaccurate, certainly more inaccurate than their opposition. The Tigers kicked six goals, 10 in their win, and mm. the Cats 11 goals, 16. So for all the talk of you've got to kick straight, you know what? Both teams just got the job done. They had more shots on goal and they managed to win. And you know what? It's sort of proven that, you know, if sometimes if you can get more of the ball in your forward 50 and, and have more shots, you're going to win regardless. Interesting stat. I don't mind it. Uh, something I noticed and, and liked from the weekend was the response from Port Adelaide when uh, poor old Tom Lynch, who's who copped a few boos on, on Friday night, had that Bundy and Coke thrown on him uh, from a fan. And uh, they've, already, they've already managed to track him down. I shouldn't laugh. Um, but yes, they've, they've tracked him down and, and slapped a, a ban on him, which is, uh, which is good to see. All what four, was the ban? What uh, was the ban? Well, they banned him because he threw the, the Bundy and Coke on No, Tom no, Lynch. but what was the ban? Like, is he, oh, can he not go to another ban. game? I think it's a stadium ban. Two years, I think. Yeah. So yeah, and I, and you know what? I like that because you know what? People have a problem with uh, the crowd booing players. I don't have a problem with booing. I think that's not too bad. But as soon as you cross that line, uh, th- that line probably starts somewhere more closer to sort of personal uh, attacks verbally. Uh, but he well and truly crossed that line. That fan and and by throwing something on on Lynch and has deservedly copped his whack. We don't do that. I don't think in footy. I think that's pretty poor. So good response from Port. Uh, shall we move into, I guess, well, you touched on it, Jake, but the prelim rewind. There was uh, one thriller. Friday night, we saw a one-goal game and there was one belting where Geelong pretty much dominated possession, dominated the scoreboard, even though they didn't dominate the accuracy, as you say. It means that the teams that finished first on the ladder, which was Port and second Brisbane, are now in the rearview mirror and the Cats and the Tigers, third and fourth, at a face-off in the big dance. Despite the results on the weekend, Neil, are the two best teams in the grand final? Oh, it depends on what, what your definition of the two best teams. The two best teams on the night have won through. And you know, I don't think anyone will begrudge the fact that those two teams actually have made it. Whether you think that they're the best teams all year. I mean, it, the AFL is a funny game in that it's not, there's no reward unless you make the grand final. So you, like Port Adelaide were on top all year. They got to host their prelim and then they didn't make it. They got beaten. But we were all right to not buy into Port. You know, well, I, think, the, I think we all started to buy into them a bit more, didn't we? Especially when, when they won their, their first final. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think most people entered last weekend thinking all four teams were, were all really good chances and, and all deserved a grand finalist if they could make it. I just thought it was interesting that at no point throughout the whole season were Port Adelaide either favourite or second favourite to win yeah. the flag, despite what was a pretty remarkable year statistically. And it kind of just... It kind of everyone was proven to kind of be right in the end to not believe Port could go all the way. And look, I think we can still expect Port to have, be strong for a few more years, but they just, they just seemed like their top of the table finish was probably a little bit higher than where most of us had rated them. I think to add to that is the fact that they missed finals last year. So I think it takes, you know, if you're talking about perception and, you know, punters and things like that, it probably takes a, a year or uh, 12 months to grow on. Growing people, so you know, missing the finals and finishing on top this year, yeah, people probably put a little bit of that fluke factor in in terms mm. of how heavy that rise was. But I mean, you know, you probably justified a little bit in saying everyone was right in saying they would make it, but they, they were close. I mean, they, I don't think they disgraced themselves on the weekend. It wasn't like you walked away from that game going, "Geez, lucky they didn't make it because they just wouldn't have been good enough to win next weekend." Um, you know, to probably the harshest take from the weekend is probably the only team that sort of was really, really down was Brisbane. I think the other three teams all proved while they were there. And, you know, I'm not saying Brisbane um, didn't deserve to be there, but they probably had a really disappointing night. But, yeah, I thought Port were right in it for a lot of the game. Um, I, I actually thought the, the, the key moment of that game, um, which really it had, had it gone one way, I think Port could have really found a way to win, was the, the Dersma drop, you know, as harsh yeah. as it is. That moment when he dropped that mark, Connor Rosie's face said it all. And... <laughs> They, were, they had the momentum at that point. It was low scoring and that would have been, I think they would have gone up by maybe two goals at that point. I'm trying to remember what the yeah. score was. But um, I've never been a soccer fan, but I did say to someone the next morning that that, was, that reminds me of, you know, how they sort of talk about soccer and the way they celebrate, you know, one nil victories and two nil because the goals are so valuable. 
on that night, yeah, the six goals that each team kicked, they were so valuable at the time mm. they were kicked. You could feel that, you know, I, I really enjoyed that game. And you're right, that that Dersma one was just, it, it just killed Paul because, yeah, goals were so hard to come by. And that just seemed like, you know, to take Which a Which is a shame because like, he played really well up until that point. He was, he he was kicked a ripping goal. Really well. Yeah. yeah um, aggressive. Thing that, you know, that would have been one of the easiest goals kicked on the night had he just, you know, <laughs> marked some of the way. The other, you know, Rosie, that one from the boundary. <laughs> Um, you know, a little bit earlier, it was just, you know, seemed impossible to kick. So, yeah, I felt the same, Jake, that that really, yeah, did, did feel like a thing. The encouraging thing, I think, from a Richmond standpoint, was it wasn't Dustin Mann who was probably the match winner as much as, or, or Trent Cochin or, or Tom. Oh, he was, was up there. He was, he was pretty good. But, like, Toby Nankervis in his last quarter, I talked about it off the top, but, you know, he had two really key intercept marks in that back 50 in the last quarter. Uh, and his, his, his ruck work as well, we talk about ruck work, was pivotal in, in, in making sure that Richmond were able to come away with the win and move forward into a grand final. So it just shows that if you're playing your role in a system like Richmond has, you're going to be successful, even if you're playing you know, the top team on the ladder. Yeah, Kane Lambert was the other one. I mean, yep. Christian just said, he six goals kicked by both teams, and he kicked two of them both in the last quarter. The only two goals the Tigers kicked in that last quarter. Um, and that's what you want, you know, whether you call him clutch or, or whatever, you, you just want players like that that can step up and deliver. And the Tigers now have had so much experience deep in finals campaigns that you feel like half their team's capable of performing and, and coming up with massive moments and massive quarters when they have to. Question without notice, Jake, on that uh, Kane Lambert, the second goal. Was it a deliberate out of bounds? Is that the right call? 110 percent it was it was they just the diff, the thing is it just they never pay it in the past yes it's it's 100 percent deliberate but, but they just they, haven't they, been they, paying it they've been changing that's the question for the umpires but if you're looking at that as an isolated yeah of course he deliberately meant to get the ball out of bounds and, then, and they've, yeah, they've been the getting harsher and harsher on it but <laughs> it's they're still there they're not paying any i mean they're still paying a couple of the, one, the ones that are a 50-metre bomb down the line that kind of trickle out, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not so much... I don't like seeing those pay. But the ones where a player just holds the ball, I think Dougal Howard got pinged for one previous week where he just had it and the forward was coming to him. He just stepped straight out. And he was like, how can that be deliberate? It's like, you, you could have gone any other way, but you stepped across the boundary line. It's 100%. I'll, I'll take the hornet's nest here. Calm down. We've got some more, we've got some more fierce debate to do later in the episode, so save it. <laughs> Just a quick one on that. I did hear an interesting uh, umpire piece of umpire audio. There was one that was paid, and it was actually, he didn't say deliberate out of bounds, which we all know it was. It was called insufficient attempt. Oh, yeah. oh no. Yeah. Um, just an interesting I, phrase that I heard, yeah, called out for the free, and I'm like, okay, oh, but dear. again, maybe... The umpires are taught one way. Maybe we all need to be retrained the same way they think of why they're paying. And when I heard those two words, I'm like, well, that's insufficient. Not what, yeah, well, well it's, it, I heard that too. And I thought about, it's kind of like, we all know you can't run a red light. That's a fine. But you can also get pinged if you're not stopping at an, or, at a, an amber light. You, if you have sufficient room to stop and you don't, even if you're not running a red, that's still the cops can do you for running a red. This is spiralling out of control. So it's the same kind of thing where it's, it's like, well, you haven't done it, but you haven't actually, you could have yeah. avoided it. So without, it's laboring the, without laboring the point, I think <laughs> across this season, I think the average deliberate um, pay, the umpires paid less than one per game, just yes. less than one per game. And, and Adelaide versus Port was six. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Port Adelaide versus Richmond was six. Good point. And then, and I agree with Jake. In isolation, I think they're good decisions to be made. And then you look at you look at Brisbane versus Geelong, and there were some absolutely deliberate decisions that they said just play on. Yeah. Like Gary Rowan kicked one pretty much straight out because he wanted to gain territory in front of him. That's where the frustration comes from. Anyway, um, enough on bye, chat. <laughs> speaking of uh, Brisbane and the Cats, Christian. Uh, Pretty dominant display from Geelong. They controlled the ball. That's what they want to do. Uh, they wanted to control the ball, and they did smash the Lions in uncontested possessions, uh, smash them on the scoreboard, smash them in just about every metric. Yeah, and, and, they'd, and they'd done it both games this season. So, again, it wasn't a fluke. That was sort of we touched on it last week, a bit of a fear. Um, it, it was almost a mirror image to their first game this season. Really high sort of uncontested possession, control the outside early, um, and then, yeah, just sort of slowly wear them down and smashed in, um, you know, start getting on top of the contested ball as the game just um, kept going on. So, again, it was just, yeah, 32 inside 50s to 50 was the simple number to look at just to how bad Brisbane's night was. You know, they got 15 shots on goal, you know, 12 scoring shots, lost their three misses. So, equal fewest this year, which was, again, they're equal fewest against um, their match against Collingwood and Geelong in the home and away season. So, again, credit to Geelong. They're probably 
they not only won that game, but they probably won the, the overall battle against Brisbane this year. In, in both games, they sort of yeah, took them apart. Um, managed, managed to manufacture a relatively bruise-free outing, whereas the Tigers uh, and Port sort of pummeled each other from go to woe. Do you think that could have an impact going into Saturday night's grand final where one team will be significantly fresher than the other? It's always hard to tell. Yeah. This is one team, you know, again, uh, is one team being more conditioned for what, what's more ahead, you know? So there's, two, there's two ways to flip it. So, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I the, think if uh, you can't get yourself up a week later for a final. grand final, you shouldn't be playing. I, I, it <laughs> and shouldn't make, make much of a difference. And these guys are used to playing off four or five day breaks, you know, yep. this year. So I think they should be resilient. Fair enough. Uh, Neil, we have a ratings piece on the website, espn.com.au slash AFL, where we have looked back at our preseason predictions for each club and, uh, and seen how they've gone in, in relation to those predictions. How do we rate Port and Brisbane's years? Pass, fail? Do we have a, a grade for them? Yeah, we gave them both a, both a strong pass, despite the disappointment of exiting when they probably were favoured to, to win through to the grand final. I think our pass mark for Port at the start of the year was to make finals. And I think at Brisbane, it was to win a final. So I think, you know, looking at the expectations, rewinding back, you know, six or seven months, I think they've probably exceeded expectations. And the challenge now is for them to to make sure that they're not satisfied with that. Yeah, I don't think people can be too harsh about Brisbane. There was a lot of there was a lot of pressure this year, given that the grand final was going to be at the Gabba. They were also undefeated at the Gabba leading into it. Yeah, um, but you know, we last year the, the, they were brilliant last year, and they they lost the two finals, and they they actually lost their last three games of the year, and there was a lot of talk about well, can they can they actually compete at, compete at the pointy end? Well, they've proven this year that they can. They've taken another step to get to a prelim. Next step, the goal should be to get to a grand final, and you know, based on what they've got, you know, who knows if they're going to get Joe Danaher? Who knows if he's going to be fit? But I don't think anyone would be surprised if Brisbane made the grand final next year. Fair enough. Uh, but it does beg the question, though, um, with first and second not making it after winning their first finals, the qualifying finals. Neil, is winning a qualifying final a poison chalice? Yeah, I think we need to talk about the pre-finals, Brian. I think it's got to the stage where the numbers are starting to become enough to sort More of More than a trend. Yeah, so before the introduction of the pre-finals, Brian, 2016, I think seven out of the 18 pre- prelim finalists were won by the teams that won their qualifying final and had, then had the week off. But since, since 2016, it's now four out of 10. So a strike rate of about 97% gone down to about 40%. Mm. So, and that's probably because with the pre-finals by, and then if you win in the first week of finals and you have another week off, rather than just being slightly fresher, you might've played one game in, in 25 days or, or something like that. So I don't think anyone's saying that the wrong two teams made it through the grand final, but the AFL is such a cutthroat competition where the only way to consider yourself having a, a successful season in many cases is to win through to the grand final. And I think the AFL should be structuring its season to really reward the teams rather yeah. than possibly impacting them in a negative way. The AFL Again. has no divisional titles. There's no sort of FA Cup titles. There's, no, there's, no, there's no, nothing else to hang your hat on in a season apart from doing your best through the home and away season to maximise your chances of getting all the way through. And I reckon the pre-finals buys may be clouding that for some teams that, that work so hard. I just, I just feel that, and I, I get what you're saying, and I agree with a lot of it. I just feel that it, no matter what, every team's going to rather play three finals than four. And that's not I, what the stats say beforehand. So before a team would rather play a team would rather play four than three. If you so. So basically you're saying that teams are now going to want to lose in the first week of finals. Well, I don't think teams are ever going to want to lose, are they? Especially when it comes to finals. But it seems like the outcome of the structure now with the pre-finals by and then the week off, I think that's just really impacting when it, in a negative sense the teams that should be rewarded for the seasons that they've put, forward, put together till then. I've got a point to make later on about a completely separate topic, but my underlined uh, sentence at the end I think stays the same. Surely if you're good enough, you'll win anyway. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there's any arguments from that, Matt. Yeah. But I just think, so this is just a personal opinion, obviously. We're just here to express how we feel. The AFL, I'll say it again, it's, it's one of the few leagues, there's no divisional titles, there's no state of origin. The only silverware on offer is the, is the grand final. So I think previously it was great that the teams that finished near the top actually got the week off after the qualifying final. But, and that really set them up to then launch into the, um, into the grand final, which the stats say was like 97% chance or whatever. There's been enough prelims now in, since 2016 
and the stats are stark enough to say that maybe that's not quite helping the teams that have worked so hard to get that chance. So it's a, it's a tough one for me because, yeah, I agree. The, the numbers are starting to paint a pretty picture. But, again, you break down the individual like, the individual prelim, prelims that some of them had. You know, Mason Cox against Richmond, that wasn't because of a week off. That was just a monstrous, you know, first half where they just dismantled. Richmond were flat that day. Richmond came exactly. out really well, the, the one that I can think of flat was Geelong-Sydney uh, yeah. 2016. But, again, the other the flip side of that was the Bulldogs. Yes, they got through and got a lot of players back because of that week off. But... That prelim could have gone on the way with GWS. Uh, Collingwood GWS last year was, you know, it poured down and um, Collingwood, you know, right in that game for, for most of it. And GWS just sort of, you know... Again, the other thing to consider, even just... Late. So, yeah. it's yeah, it's a hard call to make for me when you actually start to think about the individual prelim, preliminary finals. Like, there's not a lot of times where it's like three or four times where the first quarter of the team just looks flat and overrun. Um, so yeah, it's a hard one for me. I'm still I'm still a little bit cynical, but again, the numbers are making it harder and harder each year. You're a numbers man, Christian. Come on, <laughs> in, in exactly. A word. And, that, that, and and I have to I have to laugh because it was as soon as Geelong won on Saturday night, it crossed my head. I said, it's another one. It's another one for that. <laughs> the the theory that I don't agree with, the numbers kept uh, stacking against me. So yeah, you're right. Um, before we move on, in a word, do we do you want to scrap the the pre-finals by Neil? Um, Actually, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not 100 sold down the path that it's the wrong thing, but I'm. I'm worried enough to want to discuss it. Jake. No, I. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Christian. Keep it till something better comes along. Right, until next year when <laughs> it's when it's four out of twelve rather than four <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, plenty to discuss that isn't uh, the upcoming grand final or the just gone prelims because some big bombshell news overnight dropped where uh, Jeremy Cameron announced that he wants out of GWS uh, to say it's uh, a big, big sound from the west of the town is, is putting it lightly, um, Jake, because he's arguably their best player and he now wants out. Yeah, well, he didn't have a great year, but you only have to look back to last year to, to remember how great he was. Well, I've said it before, but there was a point last year where we were talking about can he kick 100 goals in a season? I remember. Um, he, on his... Not even on his day. Like, it doesn't even have to be on his day. He is one of the top three key forwards in the AFL. And he's a brilliant footballer. That um, The fact that he had such a down year kind of tells me that he'd been sort of thinking about leaving throughout. Um, his head hasn't really been in it. Um, and I think if the Cats manage to snap him up, Gee, it's scary thought to, to, to know that him and Hawkins, who's another one of those top three key forwards, would be in the same uh, the same forward line. Well, it'd be uh, like uh, the Bombers with Lloyd I don't Lucas think there'd be controlling any, the I same. don't think there'd be any room for Dangerfield in the forward line anymore. <laughs> um, well, he, Cameron, he is a restricted free agent uh, and the Giants have indicated they'll match any offer that at this stage it looks like Geelong will have to, to put forward because that's where he says he wants to go. Geelong have uh, a few first-round draft picks up their sleeve. The Giants have none, Neil. It seems like they'll be able to get a trade done, you'd think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that they've immediately said they're going to match shows how disappointed they are. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, that's the rules of restricted free agency. We haven't seen it much, if at all, that a team has matched. Um, so it looks like they'll... It's a they'll danger fall. field match. So Geelong have done this, they've gone down this path before. Yeah, did they, they did they match or did they threaten? Or did they we were discussing this this morning? I don't think it quite got to the point where they had to. Match. Oh, so they just traded they, before think, that. I think they said we will match, but let's try. Let's you know, get a trade. Get a trade done. Like, you know, not hundred percent, but I don't think. Again, when you think the official, I don't think the paperwork was given to the AFL, and they were given uh -huh. three days right. to put over and came back with a response. I think it was played out a different way. Well, it looks like uh, it's actually yeah, officially signed document or whether it's just a gentleman's sort of handshake, yeah, we're going to match, what can you give us? The fact that Geelong have three first-rounders probably shows that they've, they've got a lot of capital to, to bring him across. They're not early first-rounders. Without knowing, without having the numbers in front of me, it might be something like 11, 14 and 18 or something like that, mm -hmm. um, thanks to the Tim Kelly trade. So they'll get him across, um, just whether they give up a player and one of those early picks or mm -hmm. give up two of the early picks and get a future back, you know, that they'll get it done. But the fact that the Giants are so, you know, uh, are so resolute in that they, they don't want to just accept the free agency compensation shows Which, how disappointed they are. It was a surprise to me hearing that because I was surprised last night because um sort of get all the media releases through the inbox and the, the media release was titled 
uh, Cameron to leave Giants through restricted free agency. And that was from the Giants. So that was mm. them saying he's told us he won't. And the next morning, so I sort of thought, even when I read the headline, I thought this headline doesn't say Cameron to explore his options in restricted free agency. It said Cameron to leave Giants. So I sort of read it last night that it was a given that he was leaving. And, and then to come out this morning and say, well, we're going to match it. And I'm like, it just, yeah, it was just, maybe reading too much into something too little, but it was yeah, a weird headline buzzwords. and then to see the response this morning. But I, I'm all for it. We haven't we haven't seen free agency you know, play out the way that the team matches and, you know, Geelong put a big offer and Giants match it and Geelong actually say, oh, no, we can't afford that. Well, you know, you know, well, we can't go any higher, so therefore you keep him or we won't trade for him. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out if, if, it, if a free agent is stuck at their team for the next three years on that contract because, yeah, it, it does happen in other sports and it hasn't come close to happening in AFL yet. I think regardless of what happens with uh, the whole Cameron situation, it's it's massively worrying for the Giants that they found themselves in this situation, um, particularly after last year going so close. Obviously, they fell massively short um, in the grand final, but it's such a fall from grace, really. You know, it's it's not quite Adelaide levels, but it's really disappointing to see there is a lot of players wanting to leave, uh, and it just hasn't. All the five premierships that everyone was talking about, the five in a row, gee, I think they'd kill for one right now. They'd worked so hard to, to be a club that retains the players that it wants to. Yes, they've had so much talent that each year they seem to let go a, a Shield or a Devon Smith, but then they get, or a Trelaw, but then they get a first rounder or one and a half first rounders back and the cycle continues. And it seems like they, they've kept who they want to keep. This is a this is a hammer blow to them because he's an he's one of their inaugural seventeen year olds. He's pretty much the face of the club in in Western Sydney, and, and he, he had by big, all accounts he was ready to sign mid year. And so something's it, changed in the last sort of two or three. He months. had big he had you know big wig meetings with the head of seven in Sydney last week, which he's the best player who ever played for that be, club. Well, yeah. yes, he is, and 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 you know there were indications that he would have opportunities to for him in Sydney. Uh, following his career, obviously, in the media somewhere. And even that wasn't enough to get him over the line. So it, it sort of does leave you thinking, where does this leave the Giants going forward? Because now they're going to have to go back to the draft again, and it could be a slow build. If, that, if, if Jeremy Cameron isn't there next year, do we think the Giants can make the finals? I mean, they didn't make it this year, with it? No, I don't think so. I think they're more likely to miss than not. They certainly aren't going to be in their, you know, so-called flag window. Um, yeah, well, I think is their flag window closed now? I think it probably is for the, for the time being, for the short term, you know, next two or three years. I think they've got to go back to the drawing board a little bit. You know, the, their key forwards don't look great. Riccardi was handy, you know, looked quite good in his three or four games. Himmelberg yeah. Yeah. and Finn okay. Mason are solid, but they don't grab you as... It's far too inconsistent, Himmelberg. And then someone like Finn Lason. No, I don't know how Finn mm. can go being the, the focal point. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, they've got a bit of cash set aside now because they obviously were going to offer him a certain amount of money. So maybe they can do their own sort of deals at the, at the table. Uh, question get, Benny, because, get Benny Brown up there. <laughs> get Ben Brown. Why not? Um, a question for the table. Uh, we discussed this earlier this year, sort of briefly, not quite in jest, but we weren't overly serious about it either. But is Gold Coast now closer to a flag than uh, GWS, Neil? Um, if I had to put money on it, who would be closer? Uh, it, it's neck and neck. I mean, I probably still think that GW... I mean, this, this is one person leaving, but don't forget that um, Williams is one of the best, best outside runners. Core, mate, possibly more. One, a couple of their young mid-first-round draft picks from the last couple of years are on the move yeah. too. So the spot flies everywhere at the Giants. I'd still have them a nose ahead of Gold Coast because I think you look at the, the Suns through a bit of road-coloured glasses in that they've got so much exciting young players coming through, but mm. everyone knows that exciting talent doesn't equal premierships. Um, so I'd still have the Giants just, just ahead. We've got to move on, but one last thought on this, uh, Jake. Is free agency, is it working? Uh, it's working for some clubs, not all the yeah. clubs. Which one? <laughs> well, the Geelongs are the uh, <laughs> I think it's, not, it's never going to be a perfect, science situation it's really difficult to make it fair i think the afl australian sport is all about fairness where a lot of international sport sports not fair big teams the, the teams that have more to offer generally win out um we don't like that we like seeing a nice rotation of some teams you know people were happy when 
you know, oh, some people are happy when the Tigers won a premiership, but now we're sick of the Tigers and then it'll be another team. And that just rotates like that. So we don't like seeing a team too good for too long. So when we're seeing good teams getting um, talented players for essentially nothing, as it seems to, to the average punter, it's disappointing. But it's never going to work. It's never going to be super fair. It's just It just doesn't work like that. So mm-hmm. in a word, it's working how it was always going to work. It's just... No one's ever going to be happy with it. Not it's working for the players. It was brought in for the players, wasn't yes. it? Well, it is working for the players. players it is working for the clubs. Exactly. So it's working for the players. It's helping you know, ease of access once you put in six or eight years. Mm-hmm. But what Jake's saying about the equality of the competition, that's why I've always loved footy. It's a part of why I love the EPL. But when I was growing up, it was always the same couple of clubs. And now it's the same three or four clubs with the most money. And mm-hmm. it's the same in so many sports, as Jake said. And, and it does grate me a little bit that this seems to be the best players are now going to the best clubs. If you look at Danaher joining the Lions, Tom Lynch joining Richmond, I'm not sure whether it's, it's great for the equality of the competition that you know, the, the lesser clubs just mm. keep on you know, getting, the, getting to be bottom feeders. If, if perfect world and the AFL Players Association will, will come and knock on my door if this ever does eventuate. But in perfect world, the way, the way I'd change it would be, um, <laughs> I heard that joke. Um, the, the way I'd play it would be, if you nominate, for, or if, you, if you enter free agency, that is if you don't have a contract in the year that you become a free agent, uh, you don't get to nominate where you go. It becomes a bidding war. And the team that can have the highest or the biggest war chest and offer you the most amount of money gets you and you don't get a say in it. But it'll never happen. Yeah. But that would well, fix I it because North could, just, North just could get last... whoever they you know North could get Jeremy Cameron or or St Kilda could could get someone big or you know a team I think like Paul Marsh is on the phone right now. He, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mind that. I don't mind that because I think the biggest issue for fans or clubs is that no player since free agencies come in, I can't think of one player that's moved from one club to another and actually gone backwards in terms of a big drop in ladder positions. It's yeah. always going from a to one club to a better club. That's probably the thing that annoys fans the most. Doesn't the NFL, Matt, you're our American sport expert. Does the, does the NFL have some sort of restriction on free agency that if you finish top of your division, you can't, you can't move? Like there's some sort of cap on the oh. successful teams just getting everyone that they want? You'd have to double check that with Laurie Horish, our uh, <laughs> NFL guru who gets up at three o'clock every Monday morning and st- stays up until yeah. the next day. Um, I'm, I'm not too certain. I know that uh, the free agency... It's a bit. It's a bit different though in the US as well because it's not like you're uh, you're choosing between five cities and 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 sixty uh, percent of the um, the talent pool comes from say Los Angeles like mm. it is in the case where um, you know sixty percent of the talent pool comes from Melbourne or Geelong or the surrounds. So it's a little bit different in that. And then you might like a, your lifestyle to be more beach or a bit more northern where there's snow. So it is a bit different in that sense. In terms of the intricacies of of where teams finish and all that, mm. I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, it's sort of hard to compare. Um, yeah. We should move on, though, because we've got uh, more to talk about. We've got an Ask Champion Data question. Uh, hashtag Ask Champion Data on Twitter or uh, at us at Footy Tips uh, on Twitter. And, and if you do have any grand final Ask Champion Data questions ahead of our live podcast on Friday, do get them in because we can endeavour to get them answered, whether it's asking about this grand final or grand finals in general. We'll, we'll try to get them answered. Christian, uh, sorry, we've uh, we sort of... Uh, gone around the point there, but I always hear that teams are more often than not losing the following game after playing in the West and traveling back. Is this statistically backed up? And that comes from someone on Twitter who I need to quickly find, but uh, let us know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, looking at it from 2010, it's interesting. Probably not the first time I've had this query. I reckon I've had this query six, seven years ago. And, you know, off the top of my head, I reckon there was a, you know, maybe a four or five week period where the team coming back from Perth had lost. Uh, the next week and or it might have been even a really really good team just struggling to beat you know a weaker team the next week and we got asked the query and I think the numbers were similar back then they are today there's there's, there's not much in it again we're just looking at straight win loss from uh, returning from that state so you play WA one week and you know you win loss record the next week so overall coming back from WA it's 56.4 percent for the team returning um, you know, sort of different across the states, about 58% for Victorians returning back to Victoria, 55% for the SA teams when they return back to SA. So um, 56% winning record after WA. So again, breaking it down state by state to see where that ranks. When you're returning from SA, it's 57% winning record. Uh, returning from New South Wales, 51%. Um, and from Queensland, 52%. 
um, for the interstate teams from Victoria at 56%. So, um, again, probably looking at those numbers, a little bit easier to win coming back from Perth than the other state. <laughs> again, Isn't that funny? Yeah, not, not a lot in it. But, um, yeah, just that one did catch my eye when you sent it through because I, I do um, remember receiving the same query six or seven years ago and it was quite similar to the numbers showed there wasn't too much in it. There you go. So that's from Matt Allen on Twitter. You can uh, debunk that theory that it is harder to come back and play after travelling and going in the West. Uh, let's move into this upcoming week, guys, because the grand final is coming. So we should touch on it, even though we are doing another live podcast on Friday. ESPN uh, NZ on Facebook is where you can catch that. Of course, it will be uh, uploaded after that as well if you can't catch it live. Um, Neil, there are storylines everywhere in this grand final. It's It's kind of... It's not ironic, but it's just fitting that, that in a year where, and, and this is what Rowan Connolly, who uh, does a bit of work for ESPN, said, um, I'm quoting, paraphrasing him, but he said, in a year where many thought it would be an asterisk because it's going to be an exclamation point year because yeah. we've got two great teams, uh, teams that have been in the finals for a long time. Richmond obviously chasing this dynasty, uh, three flags in four years. We've got um, the Ablett farewell if Geelong win, if they can get over the line for him. Uh, Dangerfield's first grand final and possibly his first flag. We've got... Chris Scott sort of showing everyone that he can win a flag and he didn't just inherit a great list in 2011. Uh, there's a lot going on and a lot to unpack ahead of this grand final. Yeah, I actually can't remember a grand final with so many juicy storylines. Like every grand final, there's normally one or two things you can really dive into, which are obvious. Like it could be a champion's first grand final or, you know, will it be a dynasty or back-to-back? But this one seems to have like seven or eight massive um, storylines, even aside from the results. So, you know, even though I said previously I had reservations about the pre-finals by, it is great to see two amazingly strong teams back in back in the grand final. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not one for the neutrals. I think most people are probably getting a bit jack of Richmond <laughs> always being in there the last handful of years and the fact that Geelong's played in about eight prelims in the last 10 years. But it, it should be a cracking game and quite a contrasting um style of play for both two teams as well. You, you kind of touched on it before when you were talking about uh, the Premier League and, and how the same two two or three teams are always at the pointy end. It is a bit like that kind of here where you've got like Liverpool and, uh, <laughs> and, and Arsenal going at it uh, instead of Leicester City and maybe West Everton Brom. or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think the average fan would, wouldn't really mind if you, you know, I don't think the average fan cares that it's Richmond Geelong so long as it's a good game. I think they'll mm. be disappointed if a team wins by 55 points. No one enjoyed last year's grand final. So I think the average, the neutral fan would be pretty excited for this game because as you said, there are so many storylines and they both match up pretty well. It's, it's tough to pick a winner. Well, they played in last year's prelim as well. And I'm pretty sure, I think Tom Lynch kicked five in that game. Um, geez, I'd, I'd have to, hate to make sure that's the wrong, the wrong game. But he, he, he looms as a bit of a, a wild card in this one because he's had an interesting season. But, um, geez, I, I, it's kind of hard to pick a winner at this point because you can look at both teams as having finals experience. And, and, and as you say, Neil, they play contrasting games. It might honestly as well depend on the weather. If it's, if it's wet, it might benefit the Tigers. who like to sort of just go, go, go and get the ball forward at all costs. Whereas if it's, if it's dry, Geelong like to control the ball, uncontested marks and, and, and use it that way. So who knows what, sort of which way this one could go. Is, that's what the layman sees in the way they played. Christian, we'll, we'll get your, your stats head on. You know, we'll go do a deep dive on our Friday um, preview podcast, but just quickly, is, is that right? Is that the way they, they play? Richmond, just get the ball forward, you know, put the pressure on and Geelong like to try and chip it around a bit more? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, Geelong like, again, if you talk faster game styles and slower game styles, nothing more Geelong likes than more than slowing the opposition down, um, being slow when they've got the ball and then you know, they, got, they got the burst and the, the ability again to sort of control forward half stoppages and sort of wear you down with forward half turnovers, whereas Richmond, yeah, is more helter-skelter and sort of, um, yeah, will probably take, you know, um, the faster the faster route to goal and sort of, yeah, use the handball to draw play. So, yeah, two very different styles. And that's the, that's the one thing that's probably, if it's going to be a faster, speedier game, it's going to suit Richmond. So exactly what uh, Matt was saying. But, you know, whether it's wet or dry, that could be a, you know, could be a fast game. So I think Geelong will want to slow it down. Um, they'll probably be trying to create a slightly few more stoppages than Richmond and try to, you know, yeah, have periods of the game where you do are, are chipping the ball around to some uncontested marks. But, um, yeah, very, very interesting. But, again, both teams have shown that they can both 
handle playing either way. We, we sort of spoke about Richmond last week, how they can change their game style up. Same as Geelong. They're, they're not locked into one way of playing. They can uh, switch it up and beat you anyway. So, um, yeah, and as I banged on about, about at the start, it is. It just seems like it's, it's taken five years for these two to finally meet in a grand final. Um, you know, you're sort of talking about powerful teams getting sick of it. I mean, it's the first time they've played in the grand final since the 70s or 60s or something. So you can't be sick of these two teams facing off in a grand final or anything. It just seems to be, it's, it's, to me, it's a match that's that greater, it's bigger than just 2020. I love that point. I think that, that you nailed it. I think they've been the two best teams, despite Geelong not having made a grand final. They've certainly been consistent. I think they've been the two best teams for the last four or five years. And I think it, it's a pretty fitting finale for, for this, this bizarre year. One thing that we haven't really talking about how many storylines there are, there's, you know, player and team and coaches, but the fact that it's going to be the first night grand final, you know, I think that's almost slipped past the net a little bit. I know Jake's a massive fan. I'm looking forward to it just purely because it's going to be quite different. And I think we've always said it's, it's fine to experiment and this year's a perfect chance to experiment. And if it falls flat, then you can always sort of go back to tradition. A hundred percent. Yeah, the thing I'm not looking forward to is probably a late night on the on the tools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be finishing up in the early hours as opposed to, to, to enjoying the afternoon. That's it. Uh, before we move on to our, our favourite segment, Justified Hype or Hyperbole, Neil, uh, early prediction, who, who's the winner and who wins the Norm Smith? Yeah, I'll, I'll go Richmond, slightly, yeah, with a little bit of confidence. And, I mean, it's going to be super boring to say Dusty is Norman Smith, but how could you go past him? He's probably the best big game player we've seen for, well, probably since I've been alive. Christian. Didn't Christian debunk that theory last week? He did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking to it. He's pretty handy in grand. He's got a good record in grand finals. Um, yeah, I'm tipping Richmond at the moment, just. Um, yeah, I don't know. Norm Smith, I'd, probably someone different, maybe. Again, I think I might have tipped this guy last year, but Prestia, Dion Prestia might have a big mm. one and catch people's eyes. But again, I, I always feel like the North Smith voters might might mark Dusty a little bit harsher considering he's won two. So if Richmond, yeah. you know, I don't think it's going to pan out this way. Say it panned out the same way as 2019. Richmond put the game to bed by half time. Yeah. You're going to be watching every other player but, but Dusty, I think, that the mm-hmm. voters. So. <laughs> he's going to have to have an exceptional game yeah. to get a third yeah. one, I think. Do we, yeah. do we know who's on the panel? Are there any dual North Smith medalists that are voting on the panel ah. that might want to sabotage... No idea. Yeah, mark him down. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Jake? Uh, I'm going to go with the Cats. I think the Cats will win. And um, the when we did our our, uh, our predictions ahead of the finals, I picked Cam Guthrie for the Norm Smith, and mm. I'll stick with Cam. But <laughs> Are I reckon, you sure? But I, but I reckon, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's hard. There it could be a few. But I think yeah. it'll be one of those, those kind of the... The, to, to speak like you, the Menegolas or the Duncans or the Guthries. It'll be, it'll be one of those types. I don't think it's going to be a big, big superstar player. So. Uh, at least you didn't say Menengola. Uh, I, at the start <laughs> of the final series, I said I would play the percentages and go the Cats, who I've backed all year. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Cats would, be, would win the flag because it's one of their last chances too. But, geez, it doesn't I'm look like that anymore. <laughs> um, and I said I'd play the percentages on the Norm Smith and, and go Danger. So I'll, I'll stick with that and we'll see how we go. Uh, we look forward to it. And uh, as we've mentioned before, in case you didn't know, there is a live podcast, a special live pro- uh, podcast being broadcast on the ESPN Australia NZ Facebook page around midday on Friday. So join us then uh, where we sort of get into the nitty gritty of the matchup, look at the teams, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, justified hype or hyperbole, the segment, fellas, where we will, I'll say a statement to you and you can tell me whether I'm speaking in hyperbole or whether the hype is justified. Um, Brisbane choked in 2020, Christian. Uh, no, I think that's uh, hyperbole. Again, they were going back to this weekend, probably one of their more disappointing nights, which is unfortunate to have in a, in a prelim final. But again, looking the other way, it was the second time Geelong had got them. So maybe there's just a, a team that's sort of um, probably got the wood on, wood on them a little bit. But as we said before, one step further slightly than last year, got to a prelim, only two teams can make it. So no, I, would, I wouldn't put the word choked anywhere near Brisbane's 2020 season. Anyone with any other ideas? Any other thoughts? No, they didn't choke. But um, they, they let go of a, a golden opportunity considering where the, the season has been held and where the grand final is going to be. But a bit harsh to call it a choke. Jake, <laughs> speaking of getting fired up, Ash Barty is the right choice to present the cup if the Tigers win. Um, absolutely not. I, 
I'm a big Ash Barty fan. I'm a big tennis fan, but there's just no reason why she should be handing the cup over to Trent Cochin and Dimmer Hardwick if the Tigers win. It makes absolutely no sense. It's like as if Cochin would hand her the Australian Open trophy if she won it. It's a different sport. It doesn't make any sense. I'm more happy, you know, by all means, go to the game, enjoy it, have a couple of froppies, sit there with your Richmond jersey on and enjoy the game. But she shouldn't be involved in any of this ceremony. I don't understand that. Fair enough. Uh, Neil, speaking of getting fired up, Jack Nunes, he, he was robbed uh, for goal of the year. Don't get me started. <laughs> I hate the popularity contests. When you put it to the fans, it's the, it's the, um, the winner's always generally the one with the bigger fan base. Nunes was absolutely robbed. That was by far the highest degree of difficulty where you look at where he kicked it from in the wet, end of the game, season on the line, after the siren. Yes. Costa's goal was very good. But I reckon you see check sides from the boundary once or twice around. Like it 100%. Was, it was a really good goal. But the fact it was one Collingwood player and they went to the fan votes versus two Carlton opportunities for the, um, for the other two options. So the Carlton fan base is divided for starters. Mm. It reminds me of when... Uh, who, who robbed Andrew Walker of Mark? Oh, it's a Collingwood player as well. Don't worry. Yeah. It was Andrew Cracker. Andrew Cracker. Great mark. But Walker's is probably he, one of the best marks of the last 20 years. Here's the thing. Uh, Dacos's was probably more sexy. Yes, Andrew Crackers was probably more sexy because he, he came off the back of the pack and grabbed it, arms outstretched. Walker's wasn't as sexy because it was a chess mark. He got so high that the ball was not at a point where he had to reach for it. It, it landed in his it. chest. And a drop punt isn't as sexy, unfortunately, as a, yeah. as a, as a chess let, let, So let's be, let's be honest. Dacos won that award because of his name. Dacos won the award because of his name. There's massive romance. He's a Collingwood player. And it's... I mean, you ask anyone, if you take the jerseys off so you don't know who's, who's who, the Nunes kick is a much harder kick after the siren. And I'm I not agree. saying that as a, as a Carlton fan because I don't think Sam Walsh should have won the mark of the year. I don't think that was a top five mark of the year. I, I, I can't believe no one was talking. I know Matt spoke about it when it happened, but the Charlie Dixon diving back one-handed <laughs> Odell Beckham. Is yeah, but you got you got to... You got to you got to factor in the fact that Charlie Dixon's mitts are about the size of a. But you shouldn't you know. have to factor that in. Like that's just <laughs> skill to be able to do that. No, could any other player do that? I don't well, know. Well, so so you're saying that one, you know, Carlton got robbed for goal of the year, but they probably got gifted mark of the year. Yeah, so it balanced out a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I know out. we're sort of having a. It, it's a, it's a, it's not a life and death debate, but it honestly putting it to the fans sort of ruins the integrity. I'm, I'm strongly with Neil here. Yeah, like. I think Good old panel. Jake, you know, he won it because of his name. I don't think he won it because of his name. He won it because they've got more supporters. Like, it's, it has happened a few years. Um, I mean, it, the one interesting year was Jeremy Howe not winning it. Yeah. Um, so that sort of goes against it. But it was, it was, um, there was cracker. I think there was another year where, um, yeah, a stronger club was up against, you know, a couple of Gold Coast players or something. It might have been Jack Higgins or something's goal. And it just clearly, oh, yeah. it, was, you know, it was, they were making the grand final and everyone was, you know, big on Richmond, but it's it's a little bit unfair that, yeah, it, it's sort of nominated that way by the end of the year. It does my head in. It's like the Boaty McBoatface of, of AFL. <laughs> I remember voting for, for Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> See, that's where it's just stupid. People are stupid. <laughs> um, I'm going to get fired up too. This is a, this is a, a justified hype or hyperbole without notice. But um, Vic Bias, for me, has been totally depunked. That was such a hyperbole, the Vic Bias thing, about making a, a grand final winning it because they played more at the G. The fact that... I know it's a small sample size, but we've got two Victorian teams that haven't played anywhere near Victoria for four-fifths of the year, have now made the grand final, says to me that there is no excuse for West Coast, for Fremantle, for Gold Coast, for any interstate club to not make the grand final just because they don't play at the G as often. I think that has now been completely and utterly debunked because if you're good enough, you'll win. You'll win, you'll win your finals wherever they are and you'll win the grand final, even if it's at the G. And I, I think Great it's now... Yeah, speaking of getting fired up, I think that interstate clubs now, uh, they'll, be, they'll be feeling a little bit silly now because, seriously, the Vic Bias argument is now, it's, it's chucked in the bin. You would say that because you're Victorian. Yeah, I would. You're a Tasmanian. <laughs> you, you must think, you know, I think have an opinion. I think there's a huge amount of Vic Bias in, in the AFL industry. I, I agree with your point, but I think there is certainly, the whole competition is basically a Victorian-centred competition, which I yeah, think... I agree with with Neil. I, there's so much Victorian bias, but when it comes to the ground, the venue, I, I agree with what you're saying that there can't there can't be a complaint that oh we can't win at on this day mm. because we don't play here enough. Well, no, 
you're, it's a, at the end of the day, it's a football ground. Like, yep. there might be slightly different dimensions and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, it's a, gra- it's a football ground. You've got the same players going out there. It shouldn't make that much difference. Mm. All right, we're going to wrap up. But last one, Christian, I'll throw to you. You're the stats man. Did Lockie Neal, he, did he produce a best ever season? Because extrapolated... Uh, from the Brownlow on Monday night, he would have got around 40-odd votes, which would have been by far the best season, apparently, we've ever seen. Is that hype justified? Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't think it is. Again, I don't think it was the best season we've ever seen. So I was sort of, you know, million ways to look at the numbers. And again, because shortened games and shortened, you can add, you know, um, you know, add 25% to all of his averages to try to compare. But as I sort of said, ranking points is one that sort of stayed true because we've, we value every game at 3,300 points. So... Um, whether it's a you know a two-hour game or a one-hour game, or there's 700 disposals or 300 disposals, a game of football is worth four point four premiership points to win, and it's worth the same ranking points. So, his 130 points this year was actually second to Max Gorn, so it wasn't even the best this year, and it was about the 13th best in the last 10 or 11 years, um, behind a few ruckmen. With I think only one one or two midfielders were ahead of him, which were Dangerfield and Dusty, in both in 2017, where. Martin got the uh, Brownlow. So, no, going by the numbers, it was an, it was an awesome season. He clearly deserved winner, uh, mm. but he didn't break any records by being so far, of, uh, you know, ahead of, the comp- uh, ahead of the rest as the Brownlow suggested. Jake, I know that you're a Lockie lover, but I've got word for you. Uh, the Brownlow's overrated. 100%. <laughs> umpires, umpires, umpires get into their mind it? that Lockie Neal is the best player this year, best player this year, and they go, great, I'm going to give him three votes. And like your theory, he probably got interviewed after the match uh, more often than not when, uh, when Brisbane won, which was more often than not. And if your 100%. theory holds true where the umpires look at who's being interviewed and think, oh, geez, maybe he has the three votes, uh, then that's what's happened. I think, I think the Brownlow's overrated because it doesn't, it's, not, it's not following the best. The, yeah. the Brownlow's not overrated. The umpires shouldn't be giving the votes out. That's what oh. I've always said. The, the umpires the, the, the right winner won. In the yes, end. that's true. Yeah, I agree, but, but not, not, it wasn't as pronounced as what it, as what, as what it was. Nat, was the All-Australian Ruckman got five votes and everyone said it was one of the best years from a ruckman they've seen he's so influential it's, it's just getting started on how much it's an overrated award oh. give, give me the mvp overrated. give me the mvp award any day uh, all right we've got to wrap up uh, that was a fiery episode what's a fiery episode uh like i said join us friday midday ish uh espn what, what's happening friday at midday we're doing a podcast it's a live one so make sure you're wearing oh. your shirt <laughs> uh, do have your hair shave. and have a shave and <laughs> get a haircut if you can i might get a haircut um, yeah. yeah we can uh, do that but guys thanks for joining me uh we'll be back on friday so join us then uh in the meantime we will speak to you in the next one thanks for listening to the espn footy tips AFL Podcast.